0: Welcome to Humans of Authenticity and thank you for choosing my podcast. My name is Vili and I'll be your host. I'm a Vietnamese Australian living in the US, so you'll hear a lot of different accents in my podcast series. Designed as a blank canvas to weave together a rich tapestry of human experiences and identity, Humans of Authenticity will share many heartfelt conversations with my guests. their stories and how they embrace their authenticity in all forms and will hold firm to who we are we will be celebrated and liberated however the journey towards expressing ourselves authentically often encounters various obstacles i wonder why authenticity will be a buzzword unless we pause and reflect on what it means for us for individuals like you and me Join me in these conversations, peel back all the layers, and see how authenticity shines through. In each episode, my guest will choose a keyword from a selection of 12, which will be used as the theme of the conversation. These keywords change frequently, so you will only hear the same keyword once. Enjoy the episode today. Thank you so much, Daniel, for joining me on this podcast. Let's start with your stories. Can you share three things about you that you love about yourself?
1: Um, I love to learn. I'm very curious. I think those two things go together. I always see something as an opportunity to learn. I'm always curious to learn more about something and get on the black holes of the internet and, you know, the rabbit holes, Um, but I'm I'm the same way about people. I just wonder what story they carry with them. I think uh, because of that, I'm a connector. I love people, I connect with people, and then I have this ability to, oh, I know somebody that can help you here and can help you there, and together they'll do something greater. And I also like that I'm very perseverant. I never give up. And my kids, if you ask them, what does mom always tell you? They would say, never give up. So we have this resiliency and this tenacity about us.
0: Let's unpack the bit about people connectors. I find the dynamic between humans and humans interesting. Like we can be very supportive of each other and, and at the same time, it can be very toxic. What's your tips for being a good connector? I believe that when we bring out the better the people, it's easier for us to connect with each other, but obviously, human nature that's not always the case what's your tips for bringing out the better the individual that we come across so that we can better connect them together
1: I think you have to have the genuine curiosity and 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 really wanting to know them on a human level what interests them what they're trying to get out of relationships and and even with you right I think you have to have that genuine interest in the long run it's not Transactional, right? Those, so this is what I need. This is what you need. You know, let's get moving. And I think that takes time. You build that. And there are people who have this talent, and they will bring the best out of other people. And and these are the people that you have to connect with. There are people, unfortunately, on the other hand, that trigger the worst parts of you. Maybe they don't do it for everybody else, but like when you're near them, you kind of know in your stomach. And I always say that to people, like we all have the parts that we love about ourselves. And we also have the parts that we don't really love that much that we're working on hopefully. And sometimes it's that part that gets triggered. Sometimes it's hard to doubt back. So I've learned to be very aware of that and um, how I feel around certain people and of course I'm always trying to understand because usually it's not about that person is how that person makes you feel because of something about yourself so if it's something you're competitive or something and it's your insecurity then you work on that but there are other people unfortunately they're out there but fortunately they're not the majority that they tend to manipulate things a bit right they're they're not the nicest people and I think I give because I've, burned, I've been burnt before, I give these people a chance, right? Because sometimes you're not having a great day or that's something that subject, it's, it's not your area of expertise or whatever. But if I get this feeling, uh, and if it's constant, it's every interaction, then I pause and I ask myself why and I try to identify. And if it has to be with that person, the way they make the, the, me feel consistently, then I kind of take a break. And I choose to spend my time and my energy with other people. They're building me up. They're making me feel better. They're making me a better person.
0: That's a great demonstration of emotional intelligence there that you just described. Can you give me a specific example of how you do that? What I've heard is we need to be aware of our better part, work on that, and then elevate that. So we... Bring these conversations to the authenticity theme of this podcast channel. What I take from that is if we can work on our better part, then it's make ourselves more valuable and it's easier for us to express ourselves authentically. The hard question is: how do we explore our better part? Because often we are so hard on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Can you give me a specific example of one time that you were able to explore the better part of yourself and work on that to express your authenticity?
1: Sure. And and I think most things have the two sides. I am a competitive person. I've always been very competitive. I'm competitive with others. I'm competitive with myself. And I've always been very hard on myself. And whenever I achieve something, I'm very happy for five seconds. And I'm like, okay, what's next? And and so that's that's hard. And I'm like, you've worked so hard for this, you know, a year, sometimes more, and you got it, and this is a big deal. And he's like, eh. so now I'm like, I'm pausing and I'm like, this is yes, it's true. I work very hard and this is significant. So I need to take time and acknowledge that. But I'm also competitive with people. And the reason I mentioned earlier that you have to surround yourself with people that build you up is for that specific reason as I've matured. I, I want to be around people who are one pulling for me and I'm pulling for them too. So even sometimes, and it's as stupid as it sounds, you're just like, Oh, that should have been me. Like before that would stay with me for a long time. And it's ridiculous because you pick some people in your head that you compete with that you own the lane. And if somebody else got, it, it didn't matter, but this person, ah, that should have been me because they fit like a box that you put yourself and that may be the category. But now, I'm like, no, you know, they're great and I'm happy for them and look what I've done. And then instead of looking at them as a competitor, you look at them as an inspiration and a mentor. It's not about there's, and it it took me a while to figure this out, although it's very simple. There's not a finite time for things or room for things usually, right? It's not because you got something that I'm not going to get it. I get this, you get something else, we're all great. So I think exploring that competitiveness side that can be very toxic because one, you're very harsh on yourself and you're, I guess there's no better word, you're just jealous of somebody else. You kind of flip that and you learn that you're good and that person is great as well. So kind of like at that minute, you can be there for them and watch how they do it and watch how they receive that accolade, and how gracious they are. I think that is something that it's taken me a while to process, but when you do it, because people always say, oh, you know, uh, a high tide lifts all boats. It, it really does. You know, it's kind of like you want to see the good boats get get lifted.
0: I like that analogy, the good boat get lifted. All right, let's move to the second part of the conversations, the keywords. Which one do you select? And I'd love to know why.
1: I think we're going back and forth. We landed on family and language was the close second. And and family, because for me, it's that's what it's about. I was lucky to be born into a very supportive family. They've always supported me. Even sometimes they didn't understand why I wanted things and why I was doing things and where I was going. They trusted me enough to support me. Um, I came here to this country at 18 on a scholarship. My parents had never left their hometown to study. They've traveled around the country a bit and you know, outside even less. And they had no idea why I wanted to come here, why I wanted to go to college here. My dad, especially, in the beginning, he took it really hard because he's a child of immigrants. Both my grandparents came from Spain. And my dad was born in Brazil, but they have no family in Brazil, no immediate family, just extended family. And if you are in an immigrant household, you know how it goes. It's always about, I'm going to give my children a better life than the one I had. So that's why my grandparents left Spain to build a life in Brazil. And my dad was doing much better than his parents were. And he was building the life for his kids and for one of his kids to say, that's nice, but I'm going you know, to immigrate and he couldn't see why but he said if that's what you want to do I am not standing in your way if you you know I I, I don't even know how you do it but if you figure it out and if you need me I'm here so I was taking all these tests I didn't know anybody who had come here on a scholarship I didn't know anybody who had gone to college here I just figured it out and i was like oh i have to study for the sats and my parents were like well, what is the sats and so i figured it out and i know like, you have to have to go to this place the american school to take the steps. and my dad's like well i'll drive you there and you know, i'll pick you up and, and and do all that so i imagine now i'm a parent how difficult it must be especially if you're like we're here this is our home why do you have to leave and why do you have to go so far and why are you doing something that i know nothing of and my help is going to be very limited
0: That's such a beautiful story. And and again, I love talking about families. To me, family is the foundations of people's identity um, and personality. So if if we look at the superhero stories, right, we always find that families then become a big part of the establishment and the creation of, of that superhero. So I'd love to know from your perspective, how does your family shape your superhero nature today?
1: It's funny that you ask about superheroes. I just took my kids to see Blue Beetle over the weekend. And I have to say that I was never into comics. Growing up, I read actual books, like really thick books. So superheroes were never my thing. I have two boys, and one of them really likes superheroes. The first one that we went to see was Black Panther. And then we have been watching ever since. When I got into it. Spider-Man and all that stuff and I wanted to see Blue Beetle because it's the first Latino superhero ever and and it's an amazing story and his love interest who is interesting how and I'm always like when they put actors that have a bit of an accent that weren't born here what is the story that they got because they're supposed to be American right what's the story that they're going to make up so that it can be credible so in that story she's part of the cord family and they're the rich family whatever but she's brazilian i guess her dad must have married somebody so i'm, I'm always kind of like are they gonna have to you know the sequel and we're gonna know more because the actress is actually a, a brazilian soap opera star and i i keep telling my friends i remember her she was a child star she was eight years old when she had this massive role and she was amazing then and she's amazing now but back to the superheroes that is his story is kind of like my kids, we were watching the movie and some of the scenes, they would look at me and would all laugh. There's one scene specifically that he goes, he loses his job and this rich girl sees him. She's like, well, if you come to the office, you know, I will, I will try to help you. I'll try to give you a job. So family in a car, in a Jeep, whatever that his uncle drives and he's wearing a suit and everything because he's going to go for an interview and they drop him off right in front of the building. And it's like, you know, grandmother is there and parents are there and the uncle's there and the sister's there. And they push him out and they're all outside the car it's like, hi, me, hi, me. And it's just like, it's my family. They do exactly like that. So my kids looked at me and they were like, yeah. And it's the whole thing like the family doesn't know what's happening to him, but they want to be a part of it. They want to help. If he's in trouble, they're going to rescue him. And it's a very loud and Voicer's family. And that's the thing too, especially with my family and I see in other Latino families. And some people say, well, it's the same thing in Italian and the Indians is the same thing. And, you know, I don't have any experience to compare it to, but it is, it's not to say that there's no conflict. There is conflict. And especially in the Brazilian families, it usually is a very loud because people voice their opinions all the time, whether you ask them or not. We talk over you if we agree with you, if we disagree with you. But At the end, you know, they're going to come through no matter what happens, they'll come through. So the whole superhero story, not only is the family, the foundation that allows them to be who they are, but they are at all times your backup for whatever. So if anything and everything fails, uh, you know, they're going to come through.
0: I love how you say that the, the family will come through. It shows a really strong camaraderie sense around the family nature. And, and again, go back to that family being the foundations of our upbringing. I noticed that for me also, I left families at 18 for college and then in another country. And I felt that as we grow up, really I grew up in a completely different environment to my parents. I found that it's easy that, I then grow apart from families and from culture and from the language that I was originally born in. What's your advice to people who move away from family to nurture the connections with our families when we're living so apart, but at the same time, because we still want to keep that connections and we still want to support each other and come through for each other. What's your advice so that we can nurture that connection?
1: I think you have different communities, right? It's the family, it's your home country that you never lose, hopefully. And then you build your community here. I built another family here. I'm married, I have two kids, and I also have my chosen family. I have my friends. They're very close. Sometimes when I'm dealing with things, they're related to this culture. I'll talk to my family about this, but they have their lens, right? And my chosen family here, a lot of my friends are in the same professional space that I'm in. Of course, they offer something different and something that sometimes is closer and more related more related because it's our shared experience. And sometimes if it's professional, they might have been in the same situation before as opposed to my parents. I think in terms of keeping the connection back home, it's never been easier. when I came here and I tell the story, it makes me feel ancient. But it was letters. I would get letters from my parents and my friends. My parents always wrote me. So every week I would go to my mailbox and there would be at least one letter from my parents. The phone calls were so expensive. I only had five minutes on Sunday nights that I could talk to them. I mean, unless something else, like an emergency or something else happened, I would dare calling them because it was so expensive. Then the calling cards came, it got a little bit easier, but it was very difficult. And if the phone rang from there, And and it wasn't Sunday night, you're like, what happened? You know, is everything okay? Now with WhatsApp and FaceTime, I talk to my parents every day, multiple times a day. I have a group of my immediate family that's my parents and my siblings, and now my nieces. I have a larger family that's like my mom's siblings and their kids and my grandfather who's 95 is on WhatsApp. I talk about technology and people evolving. And I have groups that's only my siblings. So depending on what it, what you want to talk about, you go to these groups, but it, you can see them. I know where they are. They know I can take them with me, wherever I am. You go on a trip, you can show them you're in your office. This is my office. So I think we spent a whole lot of time talking about how, te- how technology erodes trust and how it polarizes people. But there's the whole flip side of it that I think it was the initial intent which is about connection, which is about being together. I mean, it's the little things. I have a sister and, and my mom and we like fashion, we like clothes and everything. And back home, I'm always w- with one of them. Here, I'm by myself. I have two boys and they do not like shopping, especially shopping for me. So when I'm shopping, I call my mom on FaceTime. What do you think of this? You know, and and it's, you know, she can't be right there with me in person, but she's, she's right there. Oh, I don't like this color. Oh, go get the other one. Because there's another thing that you should know. Brazilian mothers are very, I don't want to say ruthless. My mom is kind of, they're very sincere. They'll tell you what it is when like it is. Oh, this looks awful. Put it back. And This is perfect. Yeah. Wear it. So for me, I've grown up with my mom's advice and my sister. Do you like this color or whatever? And now I have it. I mean, I've had it for a while, but when I first came here, I didn't. So it's just, it's it's the little things, right? It's nothing earth shattering. It can be, right? You're feeling down and you want to talk to someone and you can connect with them. But it's the day-to-day life that sometimes you miss about being away from your family for so long. I left my
0: parents when I was 18 and it's been, it's been too long. I love that you still try to keep that connection because I remember when I left home, all of the phone calls it's really the technical issues that I hear a lot more than the actual conversations that my parents have. is really relatable. Now, I want to bring up the language side of our identity and culture. I found that language can be very complex, especially when we are not the native speakers. The grammars or the vocabulary, we can pick that up through studying and through school and through books. But. The culture level and the layers of language sometimes can be a bit hard to grasp, especially when we want to express ourselves in a different language. What's your experience on this?
1: Sometimes the words that you use and the way you speak, and that's why I think it's connection so important. So I've heard throughout my career here multiple times that I was too direct, that I was too harsh. And I'm like, really? And talking to other people that they have a shared background and we, we, we're allowed, right? And we talk over people usually, and that's not frowned upon usually back home and, and in our house, right? So when you talk to other people, they're like, oh no, I've heard that too. I thought it was me, but it's culture, right? Because the whole like pleasantly, you know, the conversation, oh, how's the weather and whatever, in my country, we kind of like, yeah, hey, whatever, boom, we'll, when you know, let's either we'll build that report over time. The very superficial stuff, we don't really care. We just go straight to the point. And the going around in a very roundabout way to say what you mean, we don't usually do that. I will allude to a situation that I, I couldn't believe it. I was with two coworkers and we had um, done this interview and it was not good. It was terrible. And I was like, Oh my God, what are we going to do about this in my head? And they're texting me like, this is not going well. This is not going well. And I'm like, it's, it's not. And so at the end, the person's like, Oh, how did it go? And they were like, great. And I'm like, great. Oh, you did awesome. And they were all so like, and I'm like, what the, What are you doing? And I said, no, we're done. they it, it, it went well. I mean, I didn't try to destroy the person or, or myself because I was a little it. but you know, like there's something missing. And I like, for the life of me, I couldn't say you did awesome. It was the best thing I've ever heard. Gonna... And they were just doing that. And I'm like, thank God you're here to build this up because I can't do that. I, I will say, you know, it could have been better. Um, and it turned out that we you, we redid it and it was much better. But the culture here is that you don't say that. You don't give negative feedback in, the, in that way, unless you want to be mean, which I didn't want to be mean at all. But I just, the whole authenticity thing, right? It's, this is not good. But we were in a very tight spot. There was some politics going on too, and I understand. So that's what I've learned to sometimes... Wait for the right moment to say and choose my words carefully, which I never had paid attention to in the past. I think you're right. It's not your first language. And then I think you have a a culture thing and a personality thing too. For me, I am upbeat. I'm optimistic. I'm loud. I talk fast. And then you have the culture thing that it's okay. Like in my culture, we agree with you. We talk over you. If I say something, you say halfway through what I'm saying and that's all fine. Nobody's gonna put on your review. Oh no, she talks over people. That's very disrespectful. I had to have it happen to me. And so and it was never my intention to be disrespectful. But since then I took that feedback. And I try to be more mindful and more careful when how I express myself and how I use my words. And also I'm an extrovert and you, and I work with somebody who is brilliant, um, but very introverted. And so I, from working with her, I understood and I learned. So people like me, I think as I speak and I have no problem with that. With her was more like, I'll need the time. I need some time to think it through. And it could be, if it's complex, I'll get back to you tomorrow. But if it's in a meeting and it's low stakes, it might just be a minute. So I'd always say, let's not move on until she's had a chance to speak. So I would go around to the other people who are more extroverted and they would have no problem sharing whatever. And by the time we got to her, she felt prepared to voice her thoughts.
0: The next question I have also related to language Um how can we as multilingual users embrace language so that we can better express ourselves? Um, and I want to refer back to, in a corporate environment where there are certain words that we should use and that is different from our culture norms. And there are certain words in our culture norm that we should not use in a corporate environment here. But at the same time, if we want to embrace ourselves authentically, that language then become an essential part of our communication style and personality. So what's your advice for us to balance that in a workplace environment?
1: I think I, I try to be a sponge, right? To kind of like soak in the environment that's around me because you're right, it's about culture. And what is culture is how we do things here. And there. we're always walking this fine line between keeping our authenticity but also being part of something bigger than ourselves. And I think you trying to negotiate at all times was interesting because last night I was reading a story about the newish, I think he's been around for two years, CEO of Brooks Brothers. And he is the child of Japanese immigrants and how he totally turned the business around. And it was his, his leadership style and how the immigrant experience of his parents really contributed to the way he sees things. And he said the one thing throughout his career that he had to work on and being the product of two cultures, one Asian culture, Japanese culture, very hierarchical, and just have down, do the work. Don't ask questions, do the work all times, do the best you can. With the Western American culture saying, express yourself, voice your concerns, look out for yourself and advocate for yourself. And he said, that's kind of like his secret. He he could see where he was coming from, all the good lessons, but he could also see times, but that would hold him back. And by growing up in this culture, he knew. And I think we talk a lot about it. And even in the African-American culture, the code switching, right? And because you're outside of your culture, even like him, if you're born here, your household is a little different than somebody else's household. And it's becoming more and more common as we are a nation of immigrants. 26% of the U.S. population today was born overseas or is the child of an immigrant. That's over a quarter. So I think that is the secret sauce. We we tend to think about our languages, our backgrounds, and I'm not a native speaker. I struggle with prepositions or the word choice and all that. We tend to look at that as a weakness when we really should look at this as a source of strength. Yes, that's, that's a given, right? We're going to struggle with things um, a little bit with the preposition, whatever, or with some pronunciation, the accent will come through, especially when we're nervous, it gets worse, but there is the superpower that I'm like, and there's all this research to back it up, how, you know, we capture more things because our brain is always working over time. We're always kind of negotiating with yourself. So I think it is, pretty tiring if you think about it because you're always thinking is that's correct and and, and negotiate i want to be authentic but i want to i don't want to stick up too much but that that's actually back to the superheroes right that's our superpower we bring something that others may overlook we bring this extra lens We we bring this lived experience so i think the the key to this is awareness when is it time for me to do a little bit more of this uh, do a little bit more of that. And his case was yeah, I did the work, I did all this, whatever, but I learned that I had to advocate. And that's how I'm where I am. For me, something that I struggle with, I'm very frank and upfront. Well, sometimes hold, withholding or waiting for the right opportunity will probably work better, right? Because depending on the environment and of the situation that we're dealing with, is there a conflict or whatever? Maybe if it's already heated, if we're already in opposite directions, if I say something that I think it's really good at, and and it will probably help you, that's my intention. Your mind's already made up because of everything else, and doesn't matter what I say, you won't hear it anymore. So for me, the 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 smart thing to do will be like, okay, I I will not make that point today. I will keep that in mind. And when I have the right opportunity, because it will come, I will address that head on. And I had it recently happened to me and I wanted, I was something that really upset me and I really wanted to confront, I really wanted to do something about it, but I knew, and I guess that comes with maturity and age and self-awareness that I need to digest it a little bit. So mm-hmm. that can be a learning opportunity for the person and for me. And I waited long enough, um, more than a month. And when I had the chance, it was very productive. And and my fear is always, what is that going to do to the relationship? Is that going to erode trust? Is that going to make things worse? And it didn't. Because I think I waited and I showed, and this is how I felt. Not what you did. The person really understood it and profusely apologized and really changed. So to me, I was like, yeah, that's the right way to do it. Even if I had heartburn for like two days, because I wanted to get it out. But I knew deep down that I, I didn't have the words. I didn't have a good way to show what I was feeling. So I took time to process it. And I obviously I wanted her to know how I was feeling, but I wanted to tell them how that could have gone differently. And, it, and they were really appreciative.
0: That's really cool. I think your example reminds me that one of the best lessons I learned in this Western culture is how to and when to provide candid feedback. And it is completely different from my culture. Is so it really? A secret sauce. Yeah, another secret sauce for us. It's been a really great conversation. We are getting towards the end. So I have two questions left for you. First of all, what's next for you? What's next nice for me? I
1: think it's doing the good work being authentic to myself and and serving the organizations that i i choose to be with for me it's always about do your best i remember uh, early in my career i had some co-workers that it was really puzzling to me because i could see that they weren't doing anything and they were complaining about being there and i'm like you're already here i mean make the most out of it be useful contribute because i tell you time goes by really quickly when you're busy, when you're having fun. So I hope what's next for me, I hope to grow, to to keep growing as a human being, as a mother, as a spouse, as a friend, as a professional, of course, um, to always be excited about what lies ahead. I've always looked at it, you know, the future is bright. When I was 18, if you had asked me, I'm, like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And that's another lesson I learned. Now, looking back, I think I might have missed some great opportunities. I don't know, they might have... Turned out to be nothing or a complete bust. But sometimes I was like, oh, I wonder if I had entertained that idea that somebody, you know, early in my career, somebody wanted to recruit me to do investor relations for a big bank. And I'm like, oh, no way. Somebody else offered me a job to do PR for a very large agency in Miami when I was in my late 20s. And I think that would have been great. But back then I'm like, not interested. I'm not leaving New York. So I don't know. everything and I struggle with this because at the same time I believe everything happens for a reason everybody is where they need to be and I'm very content where I am now all the struggles I've had led me to the place I'm in and I'm 100% happy uh I was like yeah but I mean it would have been interesting so now um as I got older I'm like I'll just say yes and I'm not saying I would have taken those jobs but rather than shut down from the get-go I would have spoken to someone. I would have investigated a little bit more so I would have more facts to make my decision and I wouldn't have what ifs. I don't like what ifs.
0: Yeah, a lot of times self-doubt gets to the better side of us. It's a bit unfortunate.
1: For me, I mean, I was so focused. This is what I want to do.
0: Nothing else. Oh, that's true. It means that you're very persistent and very goal-oriented. So talking about goal-oriented, what role does family or language has In keeping you going on and achieving your goals?
1: You you want to make sure that whatever you're doing, your family is a part of it. The family that you have back home and the family that I have here. And sometimes it's hard because you have a dual income household to working parents and you're always negotiating. And I always tell people this too. They're like, oh, you marry somebody else, all the coach or whatever. And I I don't think it's an issue if you have the same values and if you have the same goals, that's never been a problem. And you're two adults, right? You balance each other up, and you can do this. The other person can take care of themselves. So if I'm going on a week trip, whatever trip for work or whatever, that's not a problem. You can do that. When you have kids, it changes completely because right now, if you're not doing your job, that person's doing Two jobs, and it's hard. They they are overloaded for that period, and you also have two people raising humans, and it doesn't really matter. Like you can marry your neighbor that grew up in the same little town. Your house was a little bit different than their house, and if, what you want to do probably different from what they want to. So you have that friction, but now and because families are always different expectations are always different goals are always different but now you add a whole layer of culture what is okay in one culture and what is not okay in another culture so it it's really and the priorities right so we guess a lot more complex but it, it's interesting and I look at my kids and how they're growing up how different it is from the way I grew up because they live here and my husband is American his whole family is here and they're American and all that and I have no family here except for them. My entire family is in Brazil. My husband's family is very small. My family is ridiculously large. Back home, Latino families have our tios and they're not necessarily blood tios. They can be our parents' friends and they can be the in-laws of somebody that became. So any get-together that they go to in Brazil is like 50 people. Like it's not a party; it's just the family that's here. So they navigate that, and here they don't have a lot of cousins their age. There they have cousins, and the cousins have cousins, and it's huge. And it's like a huge party because they have the friends that their cousins that they play with. So it's like a plane. And when I was here studying, I always felt that the plane ride is a very long plane ride from here to Brazil. I felt like I was a butterfly or some sort of transformation was happening. And those 10 hours, 12 hours that I was flying and I got there and I was a different person.
0: And I see that in them now. So I have that butterfly feeling to uh, whenever I go back home, I feel I was so liberated and I can just do anything when I'm home, uh, gotcha. which is really cool. So we're getting to our last questions. If you are going on a dream vacation tomorrow, What is the one item that you will take with you and why?
1: You know, that is not the answer I wanted to give you, but it's an honest answer. My phone. And it's not because I want to spend time trolling people, but it's because it's, it's about connection, right? It's knowing that what's happening here and it's bringing people with you. We were just in Puerto Vallarta in Mexico, the four of us, my husband, my two kids and me, and I was... Showing my parents, look, this is cool. And so it it was in a way that they were there with me. So I can bring everybody with me. And by the way, family vacations to me are the best vacations. It's are the memories that you're building. And that's what we do with our kids. We take a a lot of family vacations with like 15 people and I plan them and it's exhausting. But then you look at the pictures and it's just like, and they, they still talk about it. So it's always about connection and having people with you when physically, if I can't bring everybody, it's the next best thing, I think.
0: That's it for today's episode. Drop your thoughts in the comment section. I'd love to hear your take on the chosen keyword. Have a lovely time and thank you again for spending time with Humans of Authenticity. Until next time.